What's my football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. Go. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live-ish from Radio Row, Media Row here at the Super Bowl. It's our Thursday show. Doing things a little bit differently here, Sam. We have all sorts of interviews here today. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow will be our official Super Bowl preview and whatever else we decide to stitch in there as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will. So Exciting guest, though. Coming up today, we have Dr. Alan Sills talking about concussions he's the chief medical officer of the nfl he's the guy how'd you pull that one off when we talk about concussion well you know there's a lot of medical background over here yeah dr monson etc tell them your parents you know are, are doctors may have come up yeah yeah it's good so you know we've been talking about concussions and Tua and blah 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 we decided to get the guy who actually knows about this stuff a legit neurosurgeon who happens to be the guy that the NFL, you know, runs the whole thing in the NFL. So, so we'll talk about it all. So you already talked to Dr. Alan Sills. That's going to be coming up shortly here. We have Emmett Smith, yes. Hall of Fame running back, Cowboys and his, legend. And his tequila. And his tequila. He's going to be on here soon. And we have two Giants defensive backs, Julian Love and Adoree Jackson, God willing. But we definitely have Julian Love for sure. He's going to be hitting free agency. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just saying, there's, I, there's, there might be a couple that uh, we haven't recorded yet. I like this run of guests, though, because it sh I, I, I should always be surrounded by a normal-sized-looking person that put you in perspective. Yeah, if people saw the uh, Taylor Lewan will Compton interview, you uh, you looked like a child. Yeah, like you ever see those pictures of, like, dinosaur fossils where there's, like, a guy lying next to it for scale, you know? That's like, you. Here's, here's the thigh bone of a giant, <laughs> uh, you know, 200-foot dinosaur, and here's Fred for context. I just need an NFL defensive back sitting next to me to at all help times with your context. To help with size context. So we're going to have a lot of great Giants talk. Julian Love, we had to call him out, of course, about his uh, Nick Sirianni comments. Get some clarification, really. It wasn't a call out. You know, some clarification. Yeah, you went we'll right talk in to there. It. Yeah, I did jump right into it. And then Tracy Sandler with some uh, 49ers talk mm -hmm. to, uh, to round it out. So that's going to be our show for today, which of... Uh, which I will get to in a second. Oh, mm -hmm. man. Well done. Well Smooth. done. Say Smooth. something for a second well, while I find my read. While you find your ad reads. I will finally back you up in the idea that that document is not the easiest thing in the world to navigate. Having had to it do isn't. it for a week while you were There's multiple you know, tabs screwing and it's around different. Disney, it's more complicated than it should be. Different font sizes. But uh, at the end of the day, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. So our listeners at home might be like, Steve, how could you possibly not even have that memorized at this point? You've just said it, True. you know, a thousand times over the last year. I think we should have a contest and see if our listeners could read it back to us. Send us a video of you doing the Western and Southern ad read, uh, and we'll do, give a free uh, PFF NFL Plus. You could do the ad read for us on the show or tell us about your experiences with Western and Southern. We'll give you a free PFF NFL Plus. Alternatively, Plus. you could actually learn it. You could memorize it. I then could. you wouldn't need the document. I had to learn the, um, what was the, uh, the Gettysburg Address back in eighth grade. Yeah? I think I made it halfway through. Halfway through. 
And then I was like, uh. Isn't that only like a hundred and something words? Four score and seven years ago. Wasn't great. Wasn't great at memorizing. So I like to, I like to have it in front. Gettysburg's address is 272 words, and you couldn't make it. No, there was way more than that. 272, that's what Google says. Google's never been wrong, ever. That's like the first stanza or something. No, there's more to it. It's 272 words. Is it in stanzas? All right, so we don't want this show to go too long. So we've got five great interviews, all sorts of fun stuff here. So interact in the chat, have some fun. Let's start it out with you talking to uh, Dr. Alan Sills. All right, delighted to be joined by Dr. Alan Sills, the NFL's chief medical officer. Is that, that, that's the title? That is. Okay, this is fantastic because we constantly have to put out a disclaimer on this show that I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Dr. Monson, my parents, my dad is a doctor. Steve, there's no doctor con con connection there at all, but you, a real life doctor. It is true, <laughs> card carrying. Exactly, <laughs> and you're a neuroscientist, right? A neuro neurosurgeon. Neurosurgeon, yeah. uh -huh. excuse me. So, you're the perfect person to get on to talk about um, this whole world of concussions that everybody's navigating right now. And um, I want to start with the Tua Tungavailoa situation this year because really when you sort of, when everybody's gaming out these things theoretically, you know, like what could happen in a game, what, what happens if, if player X gets injured and all those kinds of things, the Tua situation this year in totality was kind of like a worst case scenario of, you know, what if a guy takes a hit and we're a little bit unsure and then what if that's followed up by a, another clear concussion you know fencing response and then maybe he gets another concussion later on and now we're dealing with a guy with multiple concussions in a short period of time and we, we don't really know how to navigate that because in in the nfl certainly it hadn't come up before what did the league or teams or what did everybody learn from this tua situation this year well, I think, first of all, <clears throat> our concussion protocol is sort of prepared for these scenarios. In other words, um, we always want to make sure we diagnose someone in the moment. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, we have a very detailed return to play progression that everyone has to go through. And it actually has come up before. You know, every season we have a handful of players who will have more than one concussion. Sure. It's a small number, you know, single digits usually. Or, uh, but that has happened before. And so, like most things in medicine, the, the, the protocol is a, is a basic guidebook, but there's a lot of variability because let's just say a, a person who had one concussion in, in maybe May and a second one in December, that's a very different scenario than someone who had two concussions a few weeks apart. So right. you have to individualize this, but the protocol provides a basic roadmap and sort of some guardrails for, for, the, for the treatment and a, and, a, and a set of steps to make sure that you go through that the, that the player's fully recovered before they go back. And the Tua thing was interesting because, <laughs> so obviously most people are not doctors. Most people have a very surface understanding of any of this world when it comes to concussions. Tua spent, I think, almost exactly five weeks in the protocol by the end, by the time he got cleared. Mm -hmm. um, but it went from kind <clears> of, uh, is he going to play if Miami has a key week, you know, week 18 game, or, or is he going to play in the wild card, or, or where does he come into the playoffs to the sort of general consent, or maybe not the general consensus, but a lot of people sort of saying, Tua shouldn't, I mean, he needs to think of his own health. He should never play again. Because he spent so long in the protocol and because they were sort of rapid-fire uh, successive concussions, are there any long-term kind of considerations at all for him? Or by the time training camp and preseason and those kinds of things roll around, are we kind of on a clean slate when his, when his career comes going? Well, I, I think that, let me speak a little more broadly because sure. I don't want to get into the specifics of any one player for privacy reasons, but any time a player has more than one concussion in a season, um, first of all, as I said, they're going to go through a very, um, very well-detailed return-to-play process. And, 
And they're going to ultimately need to sit down with the team medical staff and with other outside experts and gather the data and think about what it means for the future, what their risks are, and try to make some assessment of that. And that's something I do every day. You mentioned as a neurosurgeon, I've been taking care of people with concussion for almost 30 years. And that's a, that's a common conversation for us, to sit down with athletes, their, their parents, their family, and talk about you know, relative risk for, for future concussions. But, but I think you have to remember that the athlete's voice really matters in that discussion, right? I mean, mm -hmm. each one of us um, wants to make our own decision. And, and, you know, medicine has changed in that way. I mean, 30 years ago, the doctor walked in and said, okay, Sam, here's what you're going to do. Boom. Right. Um, and you didn't really get a vote. Nowadays, what we see is our job is to educate you as we understand it about the risks and the benefits and, and present choices and options for you. And then I think you as the patient ultimately want to make that decision about what's, what risk you're willing to take, what, you know, what feels comfortable to you. And we do that again every day in, in surgery, for example, you know, patients deciding whether to have an operation or not. So it's really not that different, um, I think, in the concussion space. What I can tell you, though, is this. What I know today in the NFL is there's not a pressure, if you will, from coaches or front office into that. I mean, it is a medically driven process. And I will share, for example, that the Dolphins used a number of outside consultants, concussion experts throughout the country, who they got involved to get additional opinions because they wanted to make sure that they presented the player with as much information as they could. So, so it's a medically driven process. And I think, again, at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's a decision for the player themselves to make once they have all that information. And this obviously isn't a unique thing to football, to the NFL. Like all sports kind of are dealing with this at this point. Soccer, rugby, where I have some kind of background, is, mm -hmm. is heavily involved in it right now. And, you know, they're doing things like fundamentally changing the legal tackle height, that kind mm -hmm. of thing, to try mm -hmm. and reduce concussions. Is the NFL kind of looking at other sports and are they learning things from what other sports are doing? Is there any kind of collaborative process? across codes or across different sports? How does that whole work? Yeah, it's work? a very collaborative process. And in fact, we spend a lot of time with rugby, um, with World Rugby and also various rugby leagues, uh, rugby league, rugby union in different countries, learning from them as well as other sports. So we meet together regularly. Um, and we share data, we share our observations, and we share what we're learning. And for example, you mentioned the tackle height in rugby. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've had a lot of discussions and a lot of information shared around that initiative, how it's worked, what, what the benefits have been. So we're always trying to learn from other sports as they are from us. And again, as a medical community, these aren't sort of trade secrets. Sure. These, are, these are just scientific facts. And, and we want to make all games safer for all players at all levels. So tremendous amount of information sharing that's going on. Is there, I mean, this probably isn't a decision that you are necessarily deeply involved with but do you think there's like a line in the sand that some of these sports draw at some point where they say everybody obviously is for improved player safety everybody is for trying to make the game safer for protecting players etc but at some point we reach a stage where if we keep changing rules and changing it down you know, making the game safer and safer it's no longer the game you know like boxing at some point is still a combat pugilative event like there's only so much protection we can do before we're no longer boxing we're just dancing around a ring um so is there a line in the sand where at some point football says we have made it as safe as it's possible to make in the current circumstances and any further changes we're playing flag football yeah, I don't see that happening because I think sports continue to evolve. I mean, first of all, our medical knowledge evolves. We know more about certain conditions and what drives them. Secondly, equipment gets better. Sure. A and then and then I think you see the game continue to evolve. I mean, think back 30 years ago, a head slap was legal. You mm -hmm. know, it was legal to spear someone. 
Um, you know, th these are conversations that have been had really ever since, if you go back to the origins of football, I mean, I'm a, I'm a history nut, so I go back to the early 1900s and Teddy Roosevelt was president of the U.S. and he convened a panel of people to try to reform the game of football. because dying. There were so many people yeah. dying. Yeah, they had almost 20 deaths in college football in a single year. I mean, incredible to think about nowadays. And so they basically had to reform the sport. So so this conversation about how do we make the sport safer, it's not a new conversation. Right. And, and you're always trying to balance the thrill and the excitement with safety. But I believe something that our commissioner said, the game can be both safer and more exciting. I think those are not mutually exclusive. And, and I, I think our approach is to say, we can always do things to make the game safer. How does that impact the game? How does that impact the, the excitement, the, the fan, the player experience? Um, those are always important conversations, but I, I think you always have to push on that envelope and, and look for ways to improve safety because while there may always be some injury in sport, I believe you can always improve the margin of safety. Okay, and, and I know this year that the, the number of concussions actually went up. Is that just a, this thing varies year to year, fluctuates? Is that a, you know, presumably that's the kind of thing where you can't take one single year in isolation and say, uh-oh, the number went up. What do we change? What did we do wrong? Yeah. We have to look at this on any kind of long-term well, scale you, and say this is you, just fluctuation. You must have some statistical or scientific training in your background uh, because you're exactly right. That, I could promise you I don't. Well, it happens. But, but, it, but you're, you're, you're correct in that there are going to be fluctuations, and you don't want to have one year jumps out and, and make too many conclusions. At the same time, we take that very seriously, right. and we try to look at why those changes may have occurred. And I think there were some things that, that we can point to this year. We did more concussion evaluations than we've ever done in a season during during games. We had more medical timeouts where we stopped play to remove players to, to be examined. We did make a change in the concussion protocol and the definition mm -hmm. of concussion. So there were some factors that probably contribute to that, but, but we also want to look at numbers of head impacts, style of play, um, all the factors that might be driving that increase because, again, we want to see those numbers go down if at all possible, and so it's something we'll study very carefully. I want to get off the concussion thing in a sec. I want one more uh, thing, though, before I do. How difficult is it because there's no sort of defined definition, or it's very difficult to diagnose a concussion as it happens. So rugby obviously has had this HIA, head mm -hmm. impact assessment right. thing, where a guy goes off the field for 10 minutes to figure out if he got concussed, and then whether if he passes, he's back on the field potentially. If he doesn't, he's out of the game for good. Right. And obviously the NFL is now kind of a similar world where a guy gets pulled from the game, goes, gets examined, takes the test, right. et cetera. How hard is that part of it because that's not a conclusive definitive thing one way or the other like a guy can pass the test but then 24 hours yeah. later you know yeah. concussive symptoms and well all of us in medicine would tell you that we'd love to have better diagnostics for concussion right, right? we'd love to have a blood test an x-ray an mri scan that would say yep this is a concussion or not we don't have that today even with everything we know about concussion that doesn't exist and so it makes it hard i often tell people it's not easy to diagnose um, the, the, the best diagnosis comes when you have someone who has symptoms, who admits those symptoms and endorses them to you. Then it makes it easier to diagnose, but it can be tough because some of the symptoms are very nonspecific. Headache, for example. Right. Does everybody who has a headache during a game have a concussion? We don't think so, but, but again, you're trying to tease that out with re relationship to a mechanism. So, so there's a lot of research going on in that area. There are a lot of people who are working very hard on that very topic. You know, is there a blood test or a saliva test that could help us? And we would love to see that uh, come into being because it would make our job a lot easier, if you will. But uh, until then, we have to continue to work with what we know and, and improve upon the diagnosis. And let me say this. You mentioned something else. What about the guy who doesn't get diagnosed on game day and then shows up the next day or, or two days later? You know, that happens about 1% of all of our concussions in the NFL. 
would love that number to be zero, but it, it probably never will be because we all know, again, in medicine, sometimes concussion takes time to show up. Right. It might not show up for two or three hours. It might not show up for 24 hours. So I think we want that number to be extremely low, but it probably never will be zero just because of the nature of the illness. And the fact that it's uh, reliant to a degree on sort of self-reporting is probably getting helped by this sort of slow culture shift of realizing how important this is and players actually being more readily happy to acknowledge symptoms and that kind of thing. 100%. I always say now today's players have sort of grown up with the concussion protocol. Right. They had it in high school. They had it in college. So they really are, are not surprised by the way it works and they understand. And, and I think they also acknowledge that, hey, speaking up and reporting if I do have a brain injury is a really important thing to do because you only get one brain. You can't yeah. tape it up and go back in the game. Right. So a lot of the times we sort of focus on the negative aspects of, of medical things and what concussion protocol missed and all that kind of thing. But I want to talk about what was clearly a success or a kind of triumph of the whole NFL medical uh, area was DeMar Hamlin's, um, what do we call that, a heart attack, a cardiac Cardiac event. arrest, yeah. Um, and then everything sprung into action and he went from potentially dying on the field to recovering and, and his life being saved. What kind of planning and rehearsal goes into this game day sort of emergency protocol? And because it's something I think nobody thinks about until it's suddenly deployed in front of your eyes during a national broadcast. Well, something we think about it, and you mentioned the key words, that's planning and preparation. So it starts many months in advance. Every team submits what we call an emergency action plan, an EAP, for their stadium and their training facility. So anywhere players are, right. they submit this plan. And what that plan is, it's a playbook that says, if any one of these medical emergencies occurs, here's how we're going to handle it. Here's gonna, who's going to do what. Here's the equipment we need. Here's how we'll, we'll proceed through um, the, the life-saving steps. So that plan gets submitted. It's reviewed by an independent consultant that we have. The league and the PA both review it. Then the team practices it. Just like players practice the playbook, our medical teams practice that well before the season. They go through scenarios with actual mannequins that have various conditions. We have a third-party company come in and videotape that and provide them feedback. So it's a very, very um, structured process of being prepared in the moment. And, and, and I think that's what you saw that night that, that those events occurred in Cincinnati is you had a team of people who had a plan. They had the right equipment and they knew what to do because they had rehearsed it. And in those moments, we always say, you know, you don't rise to the occasion, you'll, you'll fall to the level of your training. And, and that's what they did is, is, is go back to default to what we've practiced. How many people are involved in this? Because we tend to think of, you know, game day medical uh, world as being, you know, each team has a doctor or two on the yeah. sideline, there's a couple of trainers, and then there's the independent, you know, neurological guy in the stands, the end. Yeah, but there's no, there, a lot more people than that. Yeah, so there's 30 medical professionals wow. at every NFL game, every single one, preseason, regular season, Super Bowl, international, doesn't matter, they're all the same. And they're divided between the team medical staffs and those independent personnel that you mentioned. But they're all there, they all have a role, they all have a job, a responsibility, and they all meet together one hour before the game. We have what we call our 60-minute meeting. Nobody ever sees that happen. It happens under the stands. Yeah. But all those people get together, and the head referee. The referee comes in and they review the highlights of that emergency action plan, talk about roles, responsibilities, visually identify each other so I know who it is that I'm gonna be seeking in the case of an emergency. Um, and we think that's a really important step of preparation. Like I said, nobody ever sees that happen, it's under the stands, but it happens before every single game. And we think it's been an important part of being prepared for these kind of events. Yeah, I mean, obviously that was an incredible success for this whole process is Damar Hamlin's recovery and, and the fact that that wasn't a tragic outcome of that, that particular event. It was, but as I said, it all started with a lot of planning preparation. We never 
want to activate any of those. We never want to see an emergency situation, but we are prepared. Um, and, and, and again, those, those preparations start many months in advance. They go on at every stadium with every team. And, and in the moment, I have a lot of confidence in our medical providers to, to know what they do uh, in those situations. And then it's really not in that situation about one team versus another. We're just all physicians together caring for patients at that point. Okay, well, Dr. Sills, thanks so much for bringing some actual medical knowledge to the show, <laughs> not whatever I, uh, I broadcast vicariously through my dad. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. All right, excited to be joined. Excited, big smile on my face. We got Emmett Smith, Hall of Fame running back. Emmett, welcome to the PFF NFL podcast. Well, thank you guys. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well. So, uh, Super Bowl week. This bring back some memories for you, or what? What's this like for you coming back to the Super Bowl every year? You know, year? it does bring back memories because last Super Bowl I was in, we played right here in Tempe, and played over at Sun Devil Stadium, and so that was about 27 years ago. So. Being back here in Phoenix is always great. The weather is pretty much perfect, except for at night when it's real cold. Yeah, but it's it cool here. Yeah, it gets cool here. Uh, we are in the desert, so but but just beautiful place to have and host a Super Bowl. To be be honest with you, there's a lot of activity here, and so this is just a beautiful place for me. What's your favorite Super Bowl memory? Because you were in some pretty iconic teams, some yeah. pretty iconic games, yes. some pretty like historical uh, events back then. You know, one of my favorite memories is after we won our first Super Bowl out in Pasadena. Not only was it in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl in a stadium that I've, I was in like six years prior to that because I was 87, I was a Gatorade National Football player and I went to the Super Bowl in that stadium and sitting in the stadium with my best friend and I. I'm like, dang, and we watching the Super Bowl. We watching the Broncos get beat by the dog on New York Giants, and we all, ex I'm all excited. And I'm like, one of these days I want to play in the Super Bowl. Six years later, Dallas Cowboys are playing the Buffalo Bills in our very first Super Bowl in that stadium. And so that Rose Bowl is something that I never dreamed I would have a chance to even see, let alone play in it. But after the game, I never forget this. I'm in a limousine with my brother, uh, my best friend. And, and maybe two other people. And we we're riding back to Santa Monica. The buses are in front and I'm behind the buses and I'm hanging out of the sunroof. <laughs> and, and, and I'm looking behind to see what's going on. And the police have the whole freeway behind us blocked off behind us so nobody can get closer <laughs> to the bus and nobody's in front of us but the police escort. And I'm just saying back here saying to myself, soaking all in, it's like, wow. Sea full of lights, Amazing. and nobody's getting close to us. That police escort, that was top notch for me. That's awesome. I had a police escort yesterday for a totally different reason. <laughs> yeah, Sam, is, <laughs> Sam almost got arrested here because he lost his credential. Do you have a credential, Emmett? Do not lose this. Yeah, they don't take that, they no, don't mess uh, around with that I, stuff. I, I don't have one. Okay. <laughs> I just use this VIP pass. Yeah, yeah I, don't, <laughs> I don't have one of those. I guess we're not at that level no. yet, which is uh, understandable. Uh, Emmett, we love talking team building and stuff on the show here. Mm -hmm. So you were with Dallas in 1990, like right at that transition before they went from, you know, right. the, the bad team in the 80s to the championship caliber team. How did that all come together, you know, bringing so much talent together for that early 90s Cowboys team? Well, you know the story in terms of the, 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 tra the great train robbery or the trade with Herschel Walker to Minnesota for all the draft picks. You know that story. Yep. That's how it began. But it also began when they brought Jimmy Johnson in um, to start things up. 
uh, Jimmy knew how to pick talent. He knew how to find talent and know where to go get it. And that sh machine started everything. But Jimmy also knew how to build a team. <clears throat> and in building a team with the philosophy mentally, he used to walk on the practice field all the time, say, do not let the mind control the body. Let the mind, do not let the mind, don't let the body control the mind. Let the mind control the body. He used to say that all the time. Especially on days when he knew we were sore, we didn't really feel like practicing. Other words, get yourself ready. And that's the mentality that he built. And he wanted us to compete. Compete for the ball if it's in the air, compete on the ground if it's one-on-one. -on -one. Do all the things that we needed to do. Pay attention to the details, but be effective. And we just developed this, this, these calluses of it's us against the world. We can hear and see what's happening, but we just got to control what we can control. And we just stayed there. And that, that environment just grew and grew and grew, and things we just got better and better. This is a, a game where <laughs> Philadelphia's got, I think, the best offensive line in the NFL. Their run game's really good because of that, because of Jalen Hurts. Mm -hmm. How important is having a dominant offensive line, that group of blockers in front of you? We hear a lot about how good the group was with your teams in Dallas. Right. I think it's extremely important. But, but when you talk about offensive line, you also got to talk about the defensive line. Because if you don't have a strong, talented, tough offensive line, you don't have a strong, talented, tough defensive line. So the, that strength is built on both sides of the ball. And that's why Philadelphia is as good as they are. You talk about how great that line is, but if you talk about how great that line is, you can't talk about how great they are without that defense being as good. So you look at their front four, or their front five, and you look at their rotation. That's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with some headaches. I for mean, sure. So, for sure. Then you start looking at what's behind them. And so when you're talking about having an effective run game, that run game is mentally tough, physically tough, emotionally tough, because that front four and front five, front seven, is tough. And that's, what's, that's what Kansas City going to have to contend with this week. How do you feel about quarterbacks helping out with the run game as well now? Think about all those <laughs> eight-man boxes that right. you were facing, and now right. you've got the quarterback for uh, defenses to account for. Well, yeah. That makes a big difference when you got a guy like Jalen Hurts that can run and be very effective. Even Mahomes can run and be effective with his legs. Now, obviously, with the ankle, high ankle sprain and so forth, he's had almost 10 days. So I think he's going to be fine enough to play in this game. Uh, the question is how mobile, how mobile he will be, and <clears throat> if the pocket collapse on him, how that leg is going to hold up. And so, but uh, we should expect a great game but I, I like the Philadelphia Eagles because they're built tough and they play they have played the most consistent football as a complete group and a sure. team than anybody the whole entire season who's the best running back in the NFL right now we, we talk about the passing game all mm -hmm. the time and air and the quarterbacks but who's the best <clears throat> running back now? well you're asking a very tough question because there isn't not one guy that's the primary guy for any team outside of Derrick Henry Everyone else has, has running back by committee. So you talking about the best by running back committee or the best running back that's got a featured opportunity? The one that has the most featured opportunity is Derrick Henry. Everyone else has this hodgepodge of different guys doing different things. And so 
to label someone the best. John Jacob, for example, he's primary a, a ball, ball total, and they're giving him the rock. Derrick Henry, the same thing. He, Josh Jacob can go into every game and expect to touch the ball somewhere between 15 and 25 times a game. The kid last year for Indianapolis was on that pace until this year. Right. And so you got to have a little bit of luck and a lot of grace and a lot of blessings to be able to withstand the onslaught of what's about to come at you. Are there guys where you look at them and you say, if you transport that guy back to our time in the 90s and he had that bell cow role, he could put up huge numbers? Derrick Henry. He is that guy right. in modern times. Nick Chubbs could be that guy in modern times. Um, by the way, I'm just looking at your carry totals, 365, 373, 368, 377. That is, <laughs> it's a different feeling world. Right? How are you feeling right I now? I feel fine. <laughs> I feel fine. I mean, every time I carried it, I got hit by somebody at least oh, one yeah. time. But the point is durability. That's what we're talking about. And some teams have resulted to having multiple runners, so they got options. They can always claim that you're not our primary guy and now I don't have to pay you as much. I can pay two guys, which is their, in my opinion, it's part of their strategy. But if you got a bell winner like a Derrick Henry or Nick Chubb or Josh Jacobs and so forth, guys that, that can carry that load for a period of time, <clears throat> you got to ride them. Let's give uh, a Super Bowl pick. I'm sure you'll get asked that plenty of times here. Super Bowl pick and we'll talk a little tequila. I thought I did pick. Did you officially pick? Yeah. Philly? Yeah. I thought it was a game. I you said they're good. All right. Do you have a score? Do you have a score? No, I don't have a score. Okay. Well, I don't have a score. Hang on. What is it with you? Dallas Cowboys, Micah Parsons was saying, you know, go win one for the NFC East. Now you're picking I'm, Philly. What is the that's Dallas what I'm guys? About. I'm that's talking about. That's thing. That's I'm, really. Do you like, do you root for the SEC all the yes, time? Yes, I do. You, you root for Bama and everything? Yes, I do. <laughs> you root for Georgia? You root I root for, for Georgia? Georgia to win the that championship. That's really weird to me. That's Why is that weird? <laughs> They, like, repre they, represent, hated rivals, they represent man. the SEC. The SEC has brainwashed everybody to And they represent the, the NFC, conference. too. I, I would want to see the, the Lombardi Trophy comes back over to the NFC, NFC. side. I want to see dominance by the NFC. I was going to ask, wow. how are my, how do we get my Gators back on track? But it doesn't matter. We got Georgia. Go go Bulldogs. This no, is, I would love to see my Gators get back on track. This was the best interview we did all day before we even started it because you brought, you brought tequila. That's right. I'm bringing, I come bearing gifts just about every year. I've been working with Hedador Casa, been working with uh, uh, Hedador, the brand, for over 12 years now. Wow. And um, I brought this Ultra Nejo, which is a very, very fine tequila. It's distilled, it's clean, clean tasting, smooth tasting. You enjoy it in a margarita. I like mines with a big rock on, in a nice little glass. And that's just the way I do it. I like mines neat and clean. So I'm bringing these for you guys to have and drink this week. Do it responsibly. You almost got arrested. I don't need you drinking. I know, I know, I know. It's not going to help. It's not so, going to help. So my... you might want to tone yeah. it down, whatever right. it is. Make sure you got your passes. It's a good safety And make sure you haven't been drinking this if you leave your pass. No, so. you're right. That wouldn't have helped. I already have to give Until the cop you my, develop my that VIP pass like, yeah. like Marcus Allen has and some of them Hall of Fame brothers I know have, you might so, want to make sure you have your pass with you. So you're drinking tequila with Kay all the time. Kay yeah. Adams on her show. You're gonna bring this. She's probably okay. She's probably got the VIP pass. You right? can bring that over. Me. I, I, I'm not there yet. So fantastic. We're we're just finding this uh, 
any store? What's, what's the best way to, to pick it up? Well, I'm sure that most most companies that are, are distributors of tequila and wines and spirit spots will probably carry this bottle. Beautiful. If not this bottle, there's a double rep, double barrel reposado that you can get. There's also some other um, uh, Blancos that you can get as well out of this brand. I say you're bringing a level of class to the PFF NFL podcast that we're not used to. Between the fit, between the the bottle, this is beautiful, and we're sitting here looking like this is how I know, do it, man. This is just me. It's a different level. This is me. You want to go to another level? You got to be around other I, people that's out at another level. I'm going to dress for it. Tomorrow. You want to stay the same? I'm stepping up. Stay right. the same. We got up our game. We that's got, up to you guys. I'm not. I'm just being me. I know. I know. Now you're you, setting the standard. Now, if you feel like this, <laughs> is something different? Then that's your feelings. Dress like a Hall of Famer. <laughs> this man. is that's motivation. This is what we as, need. As, as my dad told me when I scored a number of touchdowns, I got an end zone one time and I did a dance. My dad said, "Son, the great ones don't do things like that." He said, I like you've been there before, and you're going to be there many more times. So I never performed in the end zone. That's why I take the ball to the sideline, put oh. it in the trunk, and keep it. <laughs> got to think differently. Barry, love that. Think differently. You got that uh, memorabilia. Yes. You got the, all of it. Yes, yes. Set you up later on. Hey, I'm selling some of it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, shout out. Thanks for uh, joining us, Emmett Smith. Enjoy. Y'all be good. Row here. Appreciate drink responsibly. the tequila. We will drink responsibly. And, uh, you know, have fun I this weekend. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. All right, we're joined here by Julian Love, New York Giants safety slash corner. We like to call him slash <laughs> slot corner. Um, can I say, are you with the Giants or are you free? Like, when, do you, uh, when does free agency no, start? No, no, March 13th, March okay. 13th. And so I'm a giant for now right So you're now. still with the Giants. Yes. I uh, appreciate, having, having, appreciate having you on the podcast. And so, uh, why do you hate Nick Sirianni? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, you went viral because you I said, know. You know, he was whatever you said. Yeah. Let me let me say this. Explain it. Explain yourself. Uh, you know, I, somebody recently asked me, like, you know, was it blown up proportion, or do you like stand by? You stamp that, still die on that hill, type of thing. I, I would say I'm in the middle. You know, I before that clip that went viral, it was me complimenting the team and yeah. saying that he is doing a great job right now getting them to where they're at right now of course you know and i've seen it all i'm on my third head coach in four years i've had three and i've seen you know coaches get in the way all the time uh yeah. of players you know to their full potential and he does a great job because he lets them play yeah. he lets them be themselves he he likes the juice he's energy i mean the clip that they showed of him like kind of <laughs> nodding in the camera he's He's on that field with them. He is, yeah. uh, you know, that's his mindset. And the free ride comment was a poor word, poor choice of words, you know, live TV, all that stuff. Yeah, of course. Um, but really, it was it was for that gesture, like, man, he's just having fun yeah. with this team because who wouldn't be having fun with this team? They're, they're rolling. They're putting up 30-plus a game. Uh, and so that's where that is. But I'm just a big fan of the roster top to bottom. And that's what I was trying to say. And they could use a safety <laughs> in free agency. Listen, after what I said, <laughs> they will not they will not allow Philly allow, fans are real forgiving. Don't worry oh, about it. They're forgiving. Please, if they you play will not well allow them, me fine. in that stadium. But your point generally was that, you know, sometimes these guys or coaches are given tons of credit when the team's good anyway, right? All yeah. this guy needs to do is to steer the ship and I made that point this year with Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. Like yeah. that team is cooking. I don't know how much of this is Zach Taylor and how much of it is they've got Joe Burrow now. They got Jamar Chase now. That that team is is amazing. But there's also teams where you know they overachieve, right? Yeah. So how important do you think coaching is for these teams for in the NFL in generally and then sometimes for these teams that do seem to overachieve in a year? 
Yeah, I think it, I think it is important. You know, depending on your roster, you know, when you have <laughs> no nobody's bad in the NFL. You know, right. I think players you know are talented no matter what. But when you have the most experienced guys, the guys you know not quite ready, um, you need a lot of coaching. You got to figure out how to put guys in positions. I mean, just looking at the Giants, you know, past couple years. Like you see now this year, how Daniel Jones' game has expanded because of the use of his legs. You know, before uh, the past couple of years, I've seen people tell him, "Don't run the ball." Like, <laughs> make it happen with your arm, and you see bad things happen. Um, but when you open that game plan up and you allow players to play their potential, the good things happen. You know, Wink Martindale does that all the time with you know our our defensive guys. He lines us up all over the place because he's just trying to play to the guys' you know potential, and that's what the best coaches I think do. You know, when you think of the best, you know, Belichick and all that stuff, you know, historically, uh, or even going back then, going back to Parcells and Landry and all these guys, you make the most of what you have. And some teams have a lot to work with, which right. is great. Um, but some you have to get creative to make, you know, success happen, for sure. How much of a pain in the ass is it for somebody playing your position to play a team with a quarterback that is going to use his legs oh and be gosh. a big part of the offense? Listen, it's a problem, for sure. I mean, you know, they're in the Super Bowl right now. It's talking about Hurts. We saw him three times this year. You know, he's a guy who really the run offense is predicated off of him. Uh, right. He had that shoulder thing, which um, which limited his run a little bit. Right. But when he's going, you're focused on him first, and then you're going to focus on the running back second, which is crazy. Uh, but you have to do that. And it's like, man, you have to read your keys. And then once you read your keys all clean, you got to make the play. And so it's just like it's a lot of quick thinking, a lot of quick action. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's no joke. And I think – the game's going that way more so. Right. As much as people want it to be a pocket passer type of league, the quarterbacks that are running right now are super successful. How does That's it? Big how part of the reason why you guys were were successful because you mentioned Daniel Jones running, yeah. right? It wasn't always flashy, but when he picks up six or seven first downs in a game. It's like, well, that's pretty valuable. No, he did a great job this year. Of, I mean, some games the boot was just working for him. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously you got to protect yourself, I think, as a quarterback. Because when you're running, Are you're you saying run Daniel doesn't always protect himself? Because he's definitely <laughs> lowered his shoulder like he's Josh hey, Allen. And he's, he's a little listen, smaller than Josh. I love – that's my guy. That's my, that's my guy, Daniel this Jones. This isn't a criticism. It's and just, you know. I – Tell him, dude, stop taking hits. <laughs> like when you're on the sideline, I, I love the juice. I love the energy of trying to lower your shoulder. But, dude, you're on the sideline, step out of balance. Like you at least bait him into a free flag. Like you see like the good quarterbacks do that. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a, there's a line for sure. Josh Allen can really pack it on. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Hurts is a strong runner. Right. And so guys like that, you know, maybe they could take a little more blows. But, yeah, I mean, as a defender, I'm thinking <laughs> you could tee off in this quarterback right now because he's running the ball like a running back. How does, how does it actually change the keys for guys that are definitely going to be a part of the designed run game? Because there are quarterbacks where you don't even need to think about them running. Oh, yeah. And, and if you do, it's only scrambling, right? It's not yeah. like I actually need to think about whether this play is going to be them carrying the ball as part of the designed run game. So when you run up against guys that are part of it, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, those guys, how does it change what you're even looking for pre-snap, post-snap? Yeah, it's crucial. I mean, especially for the front, you know, <laughs> There's always that that player who has to check on the quarterback, and some game plans, just you know, just letting you know, the, the coordinator is saying, "Hey, don't worry about the quarterback. <laughs> if he runs, that's on me. Like, just go, you know, squeeze to the ball." Um, so there is some of that, you know, with the slower guys. Uh, but you know, for uh, half the league, I would say right now, everybody, you know, a lot, a lot of guys are more mobile, and so yeah, you got to account for them. For the Eagles in particular, right? We talk about Jalen Hurts as a runner. You know, uh, 
in basketball they call that gravity, right? Like mm. the guys that are attracting double teams or just attracting mm. defenders. So the quarterback has some level of gravity, right? You're, you're focused on him. It opens up for the running back and everything. How much gravity does a guy like A.J. Brown have to that offense? Because he's the other big addition this offseason that allows Devontae Smith to maybe have a little bit less pressure on him, opens up the run game. So when you're game planning for the Eagles, how much are you accounting for A.J. Brown in the deep pass game? Yeah, you try to account for him in certain situations because, you know, like a lot of teams on average have you know, that really good one receiver like, you know, the number one receiver, you know, line right. X or whatever. And so you could double him. Like, for example, we played Justin Jefferson in the, in the Vikings. They have some really good receivers around him. Right. But he was on a tear this year. So you're like, he's the double guy. Right. The Eagles have two number one wide receivers right now. And so <laughs> you could double A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith in, in single coverage. And so it's like nothing can be perfect. Yeah. And that's why they're successful. You could have a really good corner, an all-pro corner, try to guard A.J. Brown the whole game and Devontae Smith's left on a one or vice versa. Yeah. And so I think that's why the, you have to have two legit corners uh, and you have to have a good scheme that can balance out it because they they spread it out whoever's open and you know there's no designated player to either one of them. Did you love playing for Wink Martindale? What was that like? And what's it like when you get the game plan? Are you just like, are we really going to blitz this often? I mean, it's the highest blitz rate in the league by far. He did it in Baltimore. He does it with you guys, except in the Minnesota game. But <laughs> yeah. you guys attack, attack, attack. What's that like as a defensive player? You know, it's not for the faint of heart. I'll say that. <laughs> you know, as a, as a DB, you're in zero coverage back there. You're like, okay, it could be great, really great for us or really bad for us. Uh, but, you know, we made it work. We, we really worked on our craft, and it became second nature to <laughs> – to know that yeah. he's sending guys. We uh, had you with your highest grade, by the way, this year. Oh, uh, really? PFF grade. Does that match up with your perception? Does, was this your best season as you head into free agency? Uh, I think so. I think the scheme was was friendly to me yeah. for uh, for my my rating. I feel like in the previous two years, I was kind of in that third safety role uh, on random situations like third down, and so it was tough to get a hold of that. But I think you know the more I'm on the field, the better my rating will be. I think I, I think that's how it, it, it turned out um, yeah. from my my rookie year in this past year, um, and that's I mean that's saying something. I think I played the top ten snaps in the whole league this year. I was leading at one point, uh, right up until I, we rested our starters for the the last game right. of the year, uh, and so yeah, I think that's that's a great <laughs> that's a, that's great. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy about that. Players like PFF when things go well. That's right. <laughs> hey, when things go well, confirm <laughs> yeah. that. Yes, Mark, write that down. That's that's where we get them on. Um, Brian Dayball got a ton of credit for like coach of the year kind of talk yeah. and all that sort of stuff because the Giants were seen as one of those teams that sort of maybe overachieved relative mm. to what expectations were. What was Brian Dayball, like, what has his job been like this year? How has he helped elevate everybody in that room? Yeah, I think he changed the culture of the, of the building. You know, not just the players, but the staffs, the coaches. You know, he, <laughs> I've seen it all in my past four years, I feel like, with the Giants. And, you know, he, from the jump, let guys just be themselves. You know, he let personalities show. I've seen guys get benched after making plays but celebrating after making plays. I've right. seen that in my, in my NFL career. <laughs> wow. And Davis is not that guy. He's a guy who's like, if you make a play, he's out there jumping around with you, right. uh, which is great. And so I think he deserves a lot of that nod because, like you said, expectation was not high at all for us this year. I, obviously, we had some talent. You know, Saquon Barkley is a guy. Dexter Lawrence was extremely underrated going into the season, which is unbelievable, but he showed out this year. Andrew Thomas is a, is a stud. Uh, there's there's pieces, but no one believed in us. No one believed in this team, and so I think that's why he should get the nod because 
I mean, he defied expectation for sure. Where do you think that Dayball can take Daniel Jones after this year? Like, is he going to oh. be the long-term solution there? Are they going to? I think he can be. I've seen. I mean, we've seen Dayball really <laughs> have an effect on quarterbacks in a positive way. I think he can have that with Daniel. I mean, you saw his game open up this year. I think the main thing is to get weapons around him and to build and help him build because that's what the best quarterbacks have. They have that. You know, I love our line, but they have that complete O line. They have those receivers who can really make a difference and win those 50-50 situations. Because, you know, I know quarterbacks are seen as that win-loss stat uh, mostly, but I don't believe in that. I think you need the team. And at the end of the day, you need guys no matter how talented you are. Right. So as you head into free agency, you've talked a lot about coaches. You've had multiple coaches. seems like you know what you're looking for. How much does that affect you going into free agency? You're trying to get back to New York where you've got some familiarity now? Or are you going to be – looking around and finding that right fit yeah I think you know for the time being up until you know, that day is you know, I, no the time being I do want to be in New York because like you said that level of familiarity is is valuable yeah. uh, and I know what the building is I know that we're heading in the right direction and I, I want to be a part of that I mean I feel like you know I started something we were four and twelve my rookie year and right now we are whatever ten win and ten wins and something else. Uh, this past year made it, you know, the playoffs, won a game in the playoffs. I want to see. I want to finish the job. Like I, yeah. I've rose from the bottom. I want to complete that journey. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a business, and so I gotta understand my value. Um, and yeah, because of the experience I've had with different coaches, I, I know what I want, what I don't want, and so that'll play a, play a role as well. You're looking for a certain scheme too, because you can't. You've played free safety. You played in the box. <laughs> played over the slot. Like what? How do you? How do you view yourself as a player? Is versatility a good thing, or would you rather be in a more specific role? Yeah, I mean, I'm not the biggest guy, but I like playing close to the ball for sure. Um, I'm really good at the second level. Uh, I'm pretty efficient, I think. You know, in slot as well, and so that'd be cool. I have starts at nickel, corner, strong, free, weak linebacker in my NFL career, and so. You know, scheme-wise, I think I'm just a student of the game, so I'll adapt. Um, but I just want a good feel. I want a coach who, you know, isn't putting that pressure on players to be perfect. Because yeah. I've seen that, and I haven't liked that. And so yeah. I want coaches who have that same mentality as me. I just, I just want to say I appreciate the visual context of Julian here proving that you are the outsized freak in this situation that I'm not built like a child. You know, I, a normal-sized human being <laughs> gets made to yeah, look small. Yeah, you are a right large here. individual. I am. <laughs> I am. I'm 6'10", pushing 300 pounds here. I shook his hand. I'm like, whoa, this guy. I <laughs> got, got some size I to him. I intimidated Taylor Lewan yesterday. I right? can understand and he's that. he's an intimidating guy. Listen. And I intimidated I, him. My wife is always amazed when she's around my friends. I'm like, no, I'm normal size. Like, <laughs> yeah. She's like, you're so small next to these guys. I'm We're like, yeah. Huge. That's the norm. That's Welcome who these people to are. My world. But hey, I'm comfortably 5'11", 195. I saw your shot. You're five six. <laughs> oh posted no! That on Twitter. Hey, five eight, five eight. Almost done. Cops yeah. almost came for me because I lost my uh, credential earlier. So almost we were almost in trouble. Oh That's no! <laughs> oh gosh. Anything else as far as as we uh, like I said, heading into free agency? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a uh, the safety class has a whole bunch of you know good solid players out yeah. there and. We'll, we'll let you sell yourself. You know, what, what do you yeah. bring into your, uh, either the Giants or that next team? Man, I, I would say that I'm just a dependable player, dependable yeah. guy. Um, I haven't missed a game due to injury in my four years. The two that I, I did miss, one we rested for uh, last regular season game this past year, and one was a 
healthy scratch in my third game as a rookie. And so that was my wake-up call. But Oh, what'd you do? Nothing. No, oh, I just okay. I just was at the end of the roster. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was back then. No, no. I was wondering, do you like no, sleep, so, sleep through a meeting? No, so or off of that, like that, I don't do anything wrong for the most part. Perfect. There. I, I, they talk about in the Giants building, be a pro. I'm that on and off the field. I'm not doing anything crazy. You'll never have to worry about me. Um, but on the field, I mean, I'm I've been productive. I think you know when you look at stats, you look at you know I think I had maybe around 60 or so tackles and you know a pick or two in my middle two seasons. I was playing 50% of the snaps. I think if you, you know, which isn't crazy to say, double those, it is in par with all my other players. You look at PFF grade, man. You look at the grade. You're a good, <laughs> good solid player this year. You know, year and so yeah. that's what it was. And so I, and this year especially, you know, dealing with injuries and trying to string us all together, you know, you're getting a captain, you're getting a leader, you're getting a guy who can wear the green dot, who can communicate well to his team, uh, who has respect, you know, in the locker room. And so that's what I bring to the table. Um, you know, with that market is going up. All the TV money's kicking in this year, and so you'll see some fun deals for sure being made. Oh, you think there's going to be a lot of money thrown around? Oh this yeah, year? there's okay. more money in general. I mean, yeah. this is the biggest jump in the salary cap uh, ever. Yeah. 16.6 million is raised, and so that's that's great for oh, players. It's, it's a perfect time for me, and I'm really lucky. I benefited from this staff from my last year. It's just you know they allowed me to unlock my game again. Do you have anything else? No, just that, you know, he. it's not the best free agent group in the world. So I think the yeah. smart money is going to be signing good players that aren't necessarily the, you know, the top two guys on the list and finding good deals. Like, and you're, you're yeah. a perfect example. Yeah, I mean, if you look at that safety market, you know, Jesse Bates, I think, will be the top. Right. Depending on what happens with him. I think mm -hmm. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson with the, the Eagles, something can happen with him as well. There's some, there's some good players, but... I'm 24 years old, <laughs> going, you know, played four years, and so I think I'm right up there with, with a lot of these guys, and so I, it's a good time. It's a good Absolutely. time to be me, and I'm, I'm really grateful for just everything. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing this. 24 years old. Yeah, come on now. <laughs> Julian Love, appreciate you joining us here no, thanks, on Media Row. Appreciate you guys. All right, we're pleased to be joined with Adoree Jackson, cornerback from the New York Giants. Adoree, welcome to uh, the PFF NFL Podcast. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Thanks for having me. How's it going so far? Media Row, running around here doing some interviews or what? Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm just really enjoying the moment. Um, you know, just trying to have fun and, and enjoy my time off from, from football and be a regular person, you know. So it, it's pretty cool to get this experience and to be, you know, around everybody. How long how uh, long do you take off and just decompress after the season before you get back to getting ready for the for next season? I'm not going to lie. Usually uh, – you know, I feel like I do. I don't do anything for a week, and then I try to get back into it. But man, I'm getting a little older, so uh, <laughs> you got to pace yourself. Man, I'm yeah. enjoying myself, listen to my body, take care of it. So we're gonna we're gonna see. Um, play it by ear, but you know, your body, you know, will, will tell you what it needs. And when I when I hear it says I need to work out, then I'm gonna switch switch my gears back to going to football. Let me uh, let me start with this. We had Emmett Smith on before, right? Yeah. And, and I brought up that Micah Parsons is rooting for the Eagles in the Super Bowl because he wants, you know, the NFC, the division, he wants those guys to win. And I thought that was crazy. And I expected Emmett Smith to be like, no, we would never root for the Giants or we'd never root for the Eagles, you know, as a Dallas Cowboy. Right. He was like, no, I'm with Micah. Like, I, I want the NFC to, to win. I want the NFC East to win. As a Giants corner, are you rooting for the Eagles in the Super Bowl? Nah, I do want to see him win. You I do? Yeah, just like they say, it, it, it's, when I was in SC, regardless of what was happening, um, it was always back to pack, regardless of who was playing in the conference play or whatever it may be, you always want to see your conference do well because it shines light on, on everyone. And um, so I do want to see them win and, 
and you know excited you know to see this game i really want to see a good football game but you know if i had to pick a team it would be the eagles so i want to that's see that's wild do you, th that, so you you're think a that's big like big 10 fan obviously <laughs> for for sc moving to the big 10 crazy to hear but yeah i'm gonna yeah. be a, a big team i grew up in illinois so that that was as a big 10 as it, as it got now seeing usc there is crazy do you think that's like the standard attitude for for players like everyone thinks you would always want your rival to lose right no everyone is different i'm not gonna lie like um a lot of people i would say let's say being more inexperienced with the usc versus ucla um deal you know a lot of people really just hate usc or really hate ucla right. Um, you have those, um, and then you have some that just, you know, want to see a good game or whatever it may be. Um, so everybody's different. I wouldn't say that that's the norm. Um, some people just hate the Eagles. Some people hate the Giants, vice versa. Everybody's different, so it's cool. Let's talk some ball now. We had uh, uh, Julian Love on yesterday. We were talking about Wink's defense and, you know, the crazy blitz schemes and all that stuff. You've played in multiple systems now right. in your career. so. How did that stack up? What was that like for you as a player going to Wink's defense this year? Uh, it was cool being able to see Wink and to be able to experience the the, the type of coaching that, that he delivers. Um, you know, I always heard outside noise of what to expect from him, but to be able to experience it firsthand, that's when you really get to learn about a person and learn about yourself. And I think, you know, us coming in April 4th and knowing, you know, Wink and him just keeping it real and letting us know, like, this defense is ours and he's going to get the keys to us one day, um, just got to – you know, earn him, and I feel like earning his respect and vice versa. Um, we did that in OTAs, and that's what helps us to be able to play, you know, some really good ball this year. Is it fun when, you know, we, we keep sort of looking at Wink Martindale's defense, you know, like, wow, every time he runs this blitz-heavy scheme, it seems like, you know, the the defense gets banged up, and they're kind of still running it with guys that aren't necessarily household names on the back end or are all pros, or is it like, a great feeling knowing that he's got confidence in whoever's back there that you guys can hold up in man coverage you can survive despite zero blitzing and all that kind of stuff um yeah one of the craziest thing that i took away from from wink it was it really came during the the vikings game um in the playoff game he really said you know um this game is where our best players you know have to play the best and then he said that's all you guys and that goes when you hear that probably before a game if you probably didn't expect to get in or whatever it may be play you're gonna do your job and you take that an example, you go to Cordell Flott, who didn't really, you know, get a lot of snaps, but the one snap that he did, they threw right at him at right. crunch time, and he made a big play and helped us advance to um, the next round. And that goes to say it right there, you know, when a coach believes, you can believe in yourself, um, that goes a long way. But to have the reassurance from, from, from a coach or the players, knowing that you're going to do your job, man, that means the world, you know, to an athlete. And you can go out there and be yourself and, and play your game. What was, what was the game plan to stop Justin Jefferson? Because that dude was on a tear. He was looking for 2,000 yards. He was looking for, you know, all-time records. And then he just got shut down by you guys. I mean, the plan wasn't to stop it. It was just a limit. Uh, you know, a lot of people going to, let's, let's stop this, stop that. And they, they think too much about it. Um, and our idea was just try to limit him as much as possible. As you see, the first, first drive, I think it was like 4 for 33. Yeah, and I know everybody probably thought, oh, he must be going for 15 and 280 or something crazy. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we all honed in, got to the sideline and start playing our game uh, and doing what we wanted to do and just settling down. Um, but, you know, credit to Wink and, and, and the game plan that he had and I had much respect to uh, Jefferson as well because that goes to tell what type of athlete he is um, when you have the game plan for a guy like that. Yeah, you guys – didn't blitz nearly as much as you usually do in that game. So what was that like getting the game plan saying, okay, 
Wink's usually going to get after quarterbacks no matter what, but you guys were going more four-man rush and, you know, playing coverage a little bit more. Um, it's crazy. Um, I don't think we thought anything of it. Um, you know, blitzing is, is great. Obviously, for a DB, you love that. But then it gets to show you what type of player you are when you aren't blitzing. You get what I'm saying? Um, show if you really can cover and can go out there and sustain yourself. So I love blitz. Um, don't get me wrong, but to be able to play a little coverage as well, it, it, it's nice to have because it gets to show that you can actually play man to man and do you know what you need to do. I think fans sometimes think of coverage as like either man or zone, like this press press man bump coverage that kind of stuff, or like off soft zone, you know. But it's always a mixture of two, not always, but it's a mixture of the two, right? Pattern match, all this kind of stuff. How important is it for a corner in today's NFL to have? like a well-rounded game, be able to do a bit of everything, be able to survive in any scheme? Um, it's needed because in the day you're playing ball. Um, uh, outside of the X and O's, you either got to feel for the game or you don't. You, you understand and, and seen and have the experience and to be able to adapt. Um, I think that's what it comes down to. Um, but, you know, having great coaches as well, to be able to have that experience to give you nitbits and, and tips on what to expect when it may happen, but to let you go out there and play yourself. So I think, you know, all that is key. We talked a lot about Wings defense, but should Brian Dayball be coach of the year? I think so. I'm hoping he does win that um, tonight at the NFL Honors. Uh, I think he's deserving, not just from a, a coaching standpoint, but just how he is as a person. A lot of people may not know him, but, you know, a good, genuine guy. Gives us a lot of crap and shoot jokes on us, <laughs> which we love. Uh, and you need that, and, but understand that he's earned our respect and we earned his respect at the same time. Um, and so I appreciate him and what he's done for us this year and looking forward to the many more Coach of the Year awards for him. So he's in the Coach of the Year mix because you guys, it felt like from the outside in, you know, looking in, you guys overachieved a little bit. How did you feel? Did you guys surprise, did you surprise yourselves this year? Nah, we were really more disappointed in our, ourselves, yeah. actually. Um, it made it seem like a surprise, but at the end of the day, we were just having fun. Um, but, you know, after that, that Eagles loss, you know, a little disappointed that the journey ended there. But sometimes you need those type of moments to see how you respond back, you know, later in later years to come. More. And um, so it wasn't a surprise, more disappointed and ready to, to get it going when, when it's time to start back up. So it's a good foundation that was laid there by uh, Brian Dable, the whole new regime in New York. Uh, before we let you go, I want you to be able to tell everybody about Porch Pals and everything that you've gotten involved in and that you're talking about here on Media Row. Yeah, so Porch Pals is basically an insurance base for uh, your packages. Man, I got my dad a pair of Bread 11s two Christmases ago, and uh, somebody stole them out of my apartment complex. Obviously, I was mad, but then again, I um, tried to see if I can get my package back or money, whatever it may be. Then I had to file a complaint. I didn't have insurance. I don't think my Nike box would get stolen. And so coming up with this idea to make sure that items that don't need to be signed for, that would just be delivered at your, your doorstep, whatever it may be, can be secure. And I mean, it's up and running in California, we launched, and you know, going nationwide soon. So I'm just excited you know, for everything since COVID happened. You know, my mom shops online like crazy, so I can only imagine <laughs> what she may get off of Amazon <laughs> and just want to make sure her package is safe so she don't have to call me and ask me. Somebody stole her package and I don't even know what to do because I'm not there, but that's one of the things that I appreciate about having this to make sure not just my mom, but moms around the world and dads are able to um, feel safe if they're going and their packages coming. 
That's great because I, you know, every time I go on vacation or something, I tell my neighbors and we always communicate. And you know, that's a great way to ensure packages. It's going to be nationwide, right? First yeah, half of nationwide soon. Yes, sir. Awesome. So that's go awesome. to porchpals.com. Is that where everybody checks Correct. it out? Correct. Porchpals.com. Um, read up more on it. Sign up, especially on my my Trojan alum. Um, make sure you guys, you know, check that out. And I appreciate it. All right. Thanks to Dory Jackson, New York Giants corner. Good luck yeah, and uh, so enjoy much. Media Row here. No, I'm gonna enjoy it. Appreciate you guys. Thanks All so right, much. Thank you. All right, we're pleased to be joined with uh, Tracy Sandler now, 49ers beat reporter, CEO of Fangirls Network. Is that right? Fangirls Sports Network. Sports Network. I, I knew I missed something there. That's Welcome okay. to the PFF NFL podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So uh, we're going to talk some Niners here. Let's do it. Um, start with Brock Purdy, his health the last time we saw him, elbow injury, very painful, mm -hmm. I imagine. Very painful. <laughs> what is his prognosis going into next season? At the moment, it sounds like he will be ready for next season, that he will have a six-month recovery time, and that is what it sounds like right now. We don't know anything for sure, but that's what it sounds like, and with that in mind, I believe he will be their QB1. That's where I was going to go. That leaves him as the starter going forward. They're going to make that switch. I believe so. I mean, I think he's shown them everything that he would need to show them. He played really well. The thing that stands out to me so much with Brock Purdy, I've been covering this team a long time, Kyle Shanahan trusts him in a way that I've never seen him trust any of his other quarterbacks. And again, I think he showed them everything he needs to do. I mean, you saw him come in the Miami game, and he came in early, and he played well, and I think there was talk, well, he came in, the defense was good, they have all these weapons around him, and then he gets ready for Tampa Bay, and he plays well. And then to me, where he really proved himself, not that I'm going to be making the quarterback decision, but to me where he really proved himself was then going into Seattle on four days rest, hurt in one of the toughest uh, places to play and winning the NFC, NFC West. So where does that leave um, Trey Lance going forward? Because that's such a huge sunk cost, I guess, at this point for an NFL team. And NFL teams generally, I don't think, deal well with sunk costs. They, they, that's a, it's an awkward kind of scenario for them. Well, I think Trey Lance will be the backup. There will be a competition, I'm sure, in training camp. To me, it feels like more of Brock Purdy's job to lose than Trey Lance's job to win. But something I've been saying all week, and it, it probably sounds a little bit silly and maybe even woo-woo, but if they don't do all that to draft Trey Lance, then they don't draft Brock Purdy. And I think you could look at it that way. But by the same token, as we've seen, you need multiple quarterbacks on a team and you need sure. multiple good quarterbacks. And maybe it gives Trey an, a year to actually get a little bit more playing time. He has not played a lot of football, but at the end of the day, the draft is a gamble. And trading all those picks was a gamble. And whether it works out or not, if they have their guy in Brock Purdy, they're not gonna make a decision based on how much they trade up for Trey Lance. There were a lot of rumors at the time that the trade up was for Mac Jones. What was your read on that situation? Was it Mac Jones? Was it, were they eventually swayed? Was it just to get to three and get a quarterback? I don't think it was just to get to three and get a quarterback. They seem to have wanted Trey Lance. I think Kyle Shanahan saw in Trey Lance something he felt was missing at the quarterback position. One of the issues with Jimmy Garoppolo was health, and they were really open about that, that that was a big part of why they wanted to move on. But I think he also saw a skill set in Trey Lance that he felt he was missing in his offense. But perhaps with Brock Purdy, you get enough of it. You know, Devo Samuels referred to Brock Purdy as slippery. And so he can it's move. It's, it's a great term. Uh, he can move. He can extend plays. And I, th I think that's something they were looking for at the time. But if Brock works, Brock works. I mean, that was a big part of what Brock Purdy added, right? Is Absolutely. That what you saw the 
the few off-schedule plays Absolutely. versus Jimmy Garoppolo? Absolutely, and I think the thing with Brock Purdy that was so interesting, there were so many times after games and press conferences that Kittle scored a touchdown and that was his third read. Right. Or Bayou scored a touchdown and that was his fourth read. And that was something we hadn't really heard much of in the last several years. Would they look to trade Trey Lance? Because at this point, like his... Not, his, not that his time is running out, but when you sort of look at the totality of his football mm-hmm. career, and I don't just mean in the NFL, college as well, he's barely played football. Like, mm-hmm. we're so, talking such a tiny sample size, and if he's going to become, you know, an NFL starter or a player to, to be reckoned with, at some point he actually has to play. Absolutely. Uh, potentially, he's going to count for, I believe, $10 million against his salary cap next year, and the fact he hasn't played a lot of football and that he's gotten hurt a little bit of football he has played more than once may make it a bit of a tough sell but I think if there was a good offer that made sense and maybe they could get a couple picks back I mean this is a team that does very well in later rounds so for them a fifth or a six is not a terrible thing I think if the offer was right potentially they could look to trade Trey Lance I just don't know that it's going to be the most attractive trade for another team what does this offseason look like for the Niners because I'm looking at their draft capital obviously they traded mm-hmm. a bunch for Christian McCaffrey and everything they don't have a pick until we're estimating about 99 101 mm-hmm. or whatever for comp picks and everything so not a ton of draft capital near the top of the draft and some key free agents guys like the great Mike McGlinchey Sam mm-hmm. yes absolutely finally hitting free agency after all these years grizzled veteran <laughs> um, grizzled are we going with grizzled grizzled very grizzled <laughs> we, were, we used to always joke here on the pod that he looked like he was 40 when he came out of the draft so we've called him a veteran since his rookie season <laughs> that's, now he's that's finally, fair. Hitting, that's he's fair. finally <laughs> hitting uh, free agency here um, the secondary has a whole bunch of holes so what does this sure. offseason look like for the Niners with the offensive line and the secondary in particular well it's, that's a very good question because they lost Emmanuel Mosley in week 5 which was a huge loss for the 49ers and he is a free agent Jimmy Ward is a free agent. You know, Mosley is an interesting one because he was playing at such a high level, but he also is someone who's battled injuries. So can they bring him back? Can they find a a contract price that works for everybody? Jimmy Ward has been pretty clear he doesn't want to continue playing in the nickel position. So what do they do there? So that is going to be an interesting one. They also have a new defensive coordinator. So there's going to be a number of things going on in the defense. Offensive line, you know, they lost last year Lake and Tomlinson, and the offensive line for the most part played well. They had a tough first half of the NFC Championship game. But Mike McGlinchey's another one. I mean, that it might be hard for them to bring him back at a price that works for all parties. And he did have a good season, and he certainly deserves to get paid. So the key guys, your big stars and key guys are back, but they have over 20 free agents, and that is going to change the complexion of the team, absolutely. Plus having to pay Nick Bosa at some point here. Yes. You know, figure out how to keep Brandon Ayuk, you know, very soon and, Mm -hmm. you know, pay all those stars. There's a lot of decisions to be made here. There are a lot, and that is why I am glad I am not the general manager (laughs) of the 49ers, and I just get to talk about it and give my opinion and then go about my day. (laughs) From your perspective covering the 49ers, what can you tell us about former PFF analyst Bobby Slowick, who's the pass game coordinator in San Francisco, who's been linked to the Houston Texans uh, offensive coordinator job. Obviously, you know, we have our perspective on Bobby, but what's it like from yours? He's done a fantastic job, and this was an offense lost Mike McDaniel. And it's funny, in the very beginning of the season, I think that was a little bit why it took the offense some time to get warmed up, and then, of course, the Christian McCaffrey trade changed everything. But Bobby Slowick has been invaluable to San Francisco, and this is the problem with having such good coaching staff. Then you lose them. 
and right. we will see. They may end up losing it, but he's been so important. And you saw it in the passing game. You saw what he's been able to do and how important he was, this 49ers coaching staff. He still hasn't let us break any news of his future. No, we usually text him live from the podcast right. here, too. Like, come on, man, let us break some news or do something. So. Which also means he is primed to go far in this league because he knows not to <laughs> let you guys Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we don't, that's we're true. not even newsbreakers. We just want to, you know, dabble one, <laughs> yeah. one time. Dabble, dabble in breaking it. news. Were you surprised with Mike McDaniel and his big, you know, rise to fame? It felt like he just started talking, like the middle of last season. He just mm-hmm. started building his uh, profile, basically. But he, you know, smart guy, mm-hmm. really great with just X's and O's and understanding the game. And, of course, you know, he tries to be cool and all that stuff and, you know, says funny things. He is really, he, and he's very and he is very funny. Well, it's funny because when he started talking to us last year, it was before we were back on Zoom. You know, after COVID product protocols changed, the year went on, so we knew he was funny and all of that. And then all of a sudden, everything was on Zoom, and everybody got to see how right. funny he was. But you know what? He's a fantastic coach. I know they had a tough second half of the season. The 49ers seemed to kind of break them. Actually, they lost to the 49ers in that first Brock Purdy game and never really recovered. But he is a fantastic coach, and I think that he's going to continue to do well in Miami. What do you think the uh, the kind of next couple of years looks like for the 49ers? Because the AFC is this gauntlet of amazing quarterbacks, mm-hmm. really good-looking teams, teams that look like they're going to be contenders for multiple years in a row. The NFC looks a lot more sort of there's a couple of teams that look really well-positioned. Obviously, mm-hmm. the Eagles are one of them mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl, but also sort of future-proofed with multiple first-round picks, all those mm-hmm. kinds of things. But it feels like... The NFC is a conference that you can look to target over the next couple of years and and really try and win a championship. Oh, absolutely. But I think the 49ers, their window, they have their window. They got a couple more years in that window. You have George Kittle under contract a couple more years, Fred Warner a couple more years. You mentioned, of course, Nick Bosa that they'll sign to a long extension. Debo Samuel's there a while, but Brandon Ayuk, what are they going to do at quarterback? They've got a window, and that's why the quarterback position is so important for next year too, because they can't they can't mess around with it. They, that's why I think Brock is going to be their guy, because they are not in a position right now where they can put Trey out there and just let him learn. This season, the hope was that Trey Lance would be better in Week 18 than he was in Week 1. Maybe they get a wild card spot, and you see what happens in the playoffs. They can't afford to do that next right. season. They have to go with the known entity. You're right. The NFC is not as strong a league as the AFC. I really thought the Eagles and the 49ers were the two best teams, and had the 49ers not run out of quarterbacks, I think we would have seen that in the game. But this is their time, and they have a one- to two-more-year window, I believe, to really get the Super Bowl one. What if, in that one- to two-year window, Tom Brady calls and says, I want to play at home. I want to go out like my hero, Joe Montana, in San Francisco for at least one more year. Do they pick up the phone? Not anymore. I oh, think it, I because think, of Brock Purdy. I just, I think You've this got the year, first contract quarterback now, well, right? here's Well, here's what – yes, right, seriously. So here was what I thought before, before Tom Brady retired. I put this on my podcast, I think, the day before he retired, so that was at least good timing. But <laughs> uh, before he retired, I felt like they could bring Tom Brady in next year and you could kind of have a conversation with Brock and say – you're coming off an injury. We yep. love what we've seen with, yeah. from you. You are our guy in 2024. You're going to have a year behind Brady. It wouldn't have been a big competitive thing because Brady was only going to play one year. But now you can't do that. Like right. you got to give you give Brock Purdy the reins, and you got to give him the reins and, and see what happens. If they start two and three next year, which I really don't think they would, but then but even if they did, this team was three and five last year and three and four this year, oh, they, and they ended up in the slow. NFC Championship yeah. game. So I just you, you can't panic about it. But this, in my humble opinion. 
this is Brock Purdy's team going. You don't think they could do that even if Brady, because I mean, last year it lasted what 40 days. He unretired middle. I of also March. don't think he's unretired. No, I, I, I think, think that's, that's probably either. true I, as well. I do think it's but if, think, if it did match last year and he decides, you know, the middle of March, start a free agency, actually, I'm coming back, you know, and, and picked up the phone to the 49ers. You don't think they could sell that to Brock Purdy now? Potentially, I just don't think there's any chance it's going to happen. <laughs> Tom, Tom's going to walk the dog, drop the kids off at school, and again just be like, I got I got to get to football. I'm calling Kyle. That's it. It's happening. Tracy, tell everybody where they can get your stuff. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Tracy Sandler, on Twitter at 49ers Fangirl, and then everything at FGSN.com. Are you bigger on Instagram than Twitter? You started with Instagram. I did start with it. You know what? I think now, I don't want to like brag or anything. I think I'm now equally big on both. Really? Yeah, I know, you guys. I know. Big deal. (laughs) No, I'm I'm lopsided. Yeah? yeah. I think I actually now Twitter only. Oh, Twitter only. I'm lopsided Twitter only. I thought you were a TikTok guy. Yeah, yeah. Secretly big on TikTok. So I used to have more followers on Twitter, but felt like I was more active on Instagram. But now my followers, it's almost, I think there's like a thousand followers separating them. You on TikTok too? I am on TikTok. I'm not as big, but you can, at uh, Tracy Sandler. Come TikTok go. with me. So with full promotion there. Tracy Sandler, <laughs> appreciate you joining the PFF. What NFL just walked podcast. past us here? Who did? What just walked past us here? Swaggy oh, wow. Spice. That's, uh, Swaggy Spice. That looks like an Old Spice mascot. Okay. I think it just is. Checking. I think it looks like it because it is one. Just, just check. Yo, Dave, can you get uh, Swaggy Spice for the podcast here, please? I want to know what Swaggy has to say about the Four Nerds. Thank you, Tracy. Uh-huh. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Super fun. Yeah, that was great. Absolutely. I hope. <laughs>